I am so conflicted on New York, New York. So by the time I saw it, I bought it in like a DVD box set. So I was fully invested in being a fan <laughs> of his. And right. I, I was also uh, realizing I loved classic film and I was discovering musicals and I was very excited. It just seemed like the perfect marriage to me. You know, you have Liza Minnelli, daughter of Vincent and Judy Garland, like mm -hmm. two powerhouses of the classic Hollywood musical. And what can't De Niro do? You know, it'll, it'll mm. be great. So <laughs> we're about to find out, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> there's so much one. There's so many wonderful things in this film. There really are. Um, the performances, I think, are wonderful. It's a beautiful looking film. Um, there's some really wonderful emotional beats that when I think back to some of the scenes that really got to my heart. Uh, from his filmography, a couple of them are from here because I, I almost feel like, I don't know, De Niro and Minnelli kind of open their veins to each other. Mm -hmm. So even with like kind of crazy, splashy things going on around them, they're always kind of real. And maybe that's part of the problem because it feels mm -hmm. like a disconnected disjointed thing where it's like hey isn't this great about classic hollywood and then like the gritty strife that we're more used to with him if there's just a way for all that to work together i'd be so happy uh but it, it it's kind of like a old roller coaster of a film where it's just <laughs> it's okay for a few seconds and then you get like janked left or right and your neck hurts and right when it starts feeling better it does it again uh, so it, it's not one of those things where it's like a total loss, like don't see it, it's terrible. It's just kind of a missed opportunity, in my opinion. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of a podcast directed by. So we are continuing our watch of Scorsese's early work. Uh, this episode we will be watching New York, New York and Raging Bull. So Mike, uh, this is the moment I've kind of been waiting for because I knew this was going to be the movie that would probably be the toughest for you. I mean, it's mm. two hours and 40 something minutes. It's a musical. Uh, so this is not exactly in your wheelhouse. Uh, and I'm just going to get this out of the way. I think... So far, this is the my least favorite Scorsese movie I've ever seen. Uh, not a fan here, and I like musicals, uh, but this was rough. This was this took me two or three sittings to get through. Like I was grateful I was not in a movie theater sitting there for 160 minutes or so. That would have been a rough sit. What about you? Well, uh, just even more uh, backstory on this one originally this was going to be a, a double feature for this particular episode where it was going to be two <laughs> music based yeah things. thank god we changed and that that would have been rough. i i had to last minute call an audible and say hey why don't we veto the last waltz because it's a concert film we should have stuck I, with the last waltz <laughs> well i've never seen it i i don't know anything about is it the band yeah it's but covering? it's shorter i know that <laughs> well i guess that's something uh, but I'm like, OK, what you know, if you don't like the, you know, the band and uh, you don't like the concert you're watching, what what are we going to talk about? Yeah, so I was like, let's, you know, and 
to be fair, Scorsese has done what, like five or six like concert movies. Didn't like, he do like a Rolling Stones one? Too? Shine a light. Shine a I light. haven't seen it, but yeah, that was a more recent one. So that's you know that's in his wheelhouse. That's his interest. But we will not talk about it because I won't watch them. How about that? It's <laughs> a strong stance. I like it. <laughs> I mean, you know, if he did, uh, if we were doing Jonathan Demme, sure. I would, I would very talking much like the Talking Heads one because yeah. I love that one, but I like the Talking Heads. So <laughs> you know, if you don't like the Talking so Heads, really, that's like what it. this is about. It's about musical taste. <laughs> Not well, about okay. value. <laughs> is there like if let's say you hate talking heads, am I going to be able to like convince someone be like, no, 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 Jonathan Demi, you know, he shoots it in a way that's interesting. Yeah. You might like say for five oh, minutes. Cool. Sure. That's yeah. a, for that one song. That was pretty cool. No, I don't want to sit and watch the rest of it. No, I'm good. That's just my apology for people who were expecting the last waltz. Uh, New York, yeah, New York. People were just like clamoring to hear our take Look, on it the was band. On your, <laughs> it was on your list. And I was like, no, Dave, let's not do it. So we are doing New York, New York and Raging Bull, which is probably what people really want to hear. They yes. probably don't want to hear us talk about New York, New York. But Too bad. <laughs> I have to admit, Dave, that I love this movie. I no, thought it was fantastic. Mike, I, this can't be real. I was like, look, so, so far on this podcast... So far, I'm questioning. I'm like, I think Mean Streets is the one I like the least. And I really like Mean Streets. And if coming into this, I would have said, if you had told me, hey, Mike, we're going to skip New York, New York, even though I paid eight bucks for the copy and hadn't watched it yet, hadn't pulled it off the shelf, I'd be like, yeah, that's fine. That's great with me. So you said as a fan of musicals, you didn't like it. I think that's why I liked it. I'm not mm. a fan of musicals. And this is a bitter pill of a musical. Like, yeah. It's very sarcastic. So that element of Alice doesn't live here anymore, that sort of flashback, not flashback because it's how it opens, but uh, the only little glimpse we get of her childhood with mm-hmm. that like red background in the sky. It's very fake looking uh, and it's very sarcastic because this little foul mouthed girl is like, by golly, I'm going to make it. Like, you know, that's sort of, you know, you're like, wait a minute, how am I supposed to take this? You get that for like two and a half hours yeah. or in my case, like two hours and 47 minutes in this. And it's like La La Land with... Ryan Gosling being a despicable human being who's See, not really like the slightest. I think that's that's my problem with it. As I mentioned in an earlier episode that I think what Scorsese is usually very good at is giving you some characters that could be unlikable but showing some level of humanness to them. And De Niro's performance here is good, but there's nothing about this character that is good. Like, he is completely despicable. I want, I want bad things that? to happen to him for all 160 minutes of this movie. That's why I love the ending, I will say. I like the fact that she doesn't go back to him, even though she's tempted. But I don't even know why she's tempted. I don't know what's good about this guy. Like, why would she continue to put herself in this position over and over again? I don't get it. You gotta respect the man's talent, or his hustle, I guess. He's got I don't hustle. Like he, That's... He, uh, he gets what he you know wants. I mean... Okay, we're. I mean, the thing I like about the ending, yes, it's it's keeping with the darker nature of the the rest of the film, so it doesn't just shift gears and sort of cop out the end. Um, I like how fake everything looks, like knowingly fake, mm-hmm. which just Scorsese. I, I read. I think it's fact, his, his like, shot at Hollywood musicals for well, sure. Well, he. <laughs> it was funny after the film was a a bomb, and I don't think critically it was like that well received it's kind of like half and half like it's middling uh i I love scorsese when i've been watching some interviews with him and uh this one uh was just like yeah maybe that was a mistake maybe i messed (laughs) that up maybe i shouldn't have done that (laughs) well it's interesting because i think his original plan was to do the last temptation of christ uh in this slot 
and they had trouble with funding, and he wanted De Niro, De Niro to play. Didn't do it. Yeah, he, he wanted did. De Niro to play Jesus, and he was like, "No, nah, let's do a comedy." Like, uh, if, I'm I don't actor, do that. if I'm an actor, I I don't want to play Jesus. Like, even if I'm successful at that point, I'm not. I, don't I also play think, Jesus and Christ. we'll get to this later. But I also think De Niro would be a terrible choice in that role. Like, I don't I don't think it would work. I think I, I the right that, decision I was made. As well. Yeah, as I was watching it, I, I was imagining at like, times this guy's De Niro, Jesus? and I'm like, mm. yeah, it's like yeah. <laughs> I mean, De Niro um, is one of the greatest actors of our gen of that generation, but. Uh, I don't think that would work for me. <laughs> okay, so I, w- I want to get into so the unlikability of you know this is this is a true two hander you know Liza Minnelli and De Niro mm-hmm. equal leads. Yep. Um, y- you really couldn't get over. I mean, you do spend a lot of time with sort of a miserable human being who um, I'm also reminded of. Um, how Norm Macdonald gave a pretty infamous like roast of Bob Saget. Do you mm-hmm. remember this? Where it's yeah, like I do. Roast. Mm-hmm. It was like the anti-roast. Much like this is the anti-musical. Right. Where it's like all the things you like about musicals, uh, we're going to be kind of sarcastic about it. Uh, and, you know, we're going to have – they have decent songs, I think, in this. I mean, and they gave us one. Well, one standard. classic forever. Yeah. yeah, New York, New York. And it's Which actually, phenomenal. stupidly, I'll raise my hands. I didn't realize – that it came from this movie. Oh, that's not I stupid. No... I thought the same thing. I thought they okay. were repurposing a Sinatra yeah. song for yeah. this. And really it's the other way around. Yeah. So even though I hate this movie, I don't hate it. It's messy. It's like for Scorsese. I think it's low. Uh, but if another director did it, I probably wouldn't be as hard on it. Uh, but it did give us this, as you mentioned, gold standard. So it's worth it existing just for that in my eyes. So Norm Macdonald during that roast, after he, he gives his anti jokes, um, that some people loved, you know, if you're like sort of a comedian's comedian, you, mm-hmm. you love that shit. And if you're like watching at home, you're like, what the fuck is, <laughs> what is this? Much like Scorsese here with his like take on musicals. Um, but when he was, you know, after you tell your jokes, you say nice things about the person. In this case, it was Bob Saget. He made mention of the fact that, uh, from a comedian's point of view, that even comedians who are your friends, um, professionally, they're not really your friends. There's mm-hmm. this antagonistic quality where sure. all of their success makes you feel bad about yourself. And there's this sort of idea of competition that they're getting slots that you can't get. And you see that quite a bit here with De Niro. And it's, you know, it's in that really sort of creepy guise of a man who's romantically involved with a woman who's in the same like profession, same sort of creative endeavor. And of course she becomes more successful and he can't take it. But more famously, many times over, we see that in *The Star Is Born*, and for whatever reason, that was—I did think of that a lot when I was watching this. But this one, not so much. This was not successful, and I don't know if it's just that De Niro is just like, especially coming off *Taxi Driver*, is he just like too intense and mean? Where you're thinking like, there's this, there's this like thing (laughs) about him. That's exactly it. Having not seen it before, I'm like, God bless. Is he like going to fucking kill Liza Minnelli at some point? Like, it feels dangerous, like way yeah. more dangerous than what we expect, even from something like A Star is Born, where it's like, oh, he's a drunken mess and a buffoon. Right. And I say that realizing that I think the Judy Garland one, he does slap her, I think. Yeah. Uh, I think there's an infamous moment. So I don't want to say like, oh, that was all fun and games. There was that one element. Yeah. But here <laughs> it feels far more dangerous. Yeah. Like even the- from the very beginning, like it feels like so terrifying when he just will not leave her alone on VJ day. And he just keeps like, he's like on her shoulder. Like, no, I'm not leaving. I'm not going to leave. you like, you know, from the introduction of this character, I think that's also one of my issues with it. And of course, sometimes real life is like this, that there is no growth for a character. There's no real arc. He kind of starts out as a piece of shit 
and ends up as a successful piece of shit. Like, that's really the only change in his character. And, like, from the beginning, I didn't like him. I was like, oh, well, maybe he'll get more charming throughout the movie and you'll grow to like him. Because that's usually what these Scorsese, and especially Scorsese with De Niro characters, you get. But I don't feel like you ever get that. Um, But I do think both lead performances are really good here. I think both De Niro and Manelli are pretty fantastic. Um, I just feel like the the script doesn't offer De Niro much to do other than like kind of be cruel and mug a lot for the camera. And I just was like not into it. And it's Mm. way too long. Like, especially for a character that doesn't change that much. Like, why do I need to sit around for two hours and 40 minutes of that? And you're the son of a bitch that watched the uh, the recut version. So <laughs> I said initially that I watched the extended version, which I think it's only slightly extended. Apparently, after the failure of this, the original runtime was uh, 155 minutes. And because of the box office failure, United Artists cut it down to 136. No, I think I think the version I watched was two and like 45, something like that. The IMDb says two hours and 35 minutes. That's the that's what I was. Did going you get the Happy too. Endings musical number? That seems to be the big. Yes. Uh, difference. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. So yeah. you were there with. Oh, good. And you know what? <laughs> that was a fine, fine musical number there. I enjoyed all of that. Like, it, it's sarcastic. It isn't like it is. No, I like that. Yeah, that was good. Okay, that it's sung by a woman who. Uh, what I like about Manelli's character is that, you know, she doesn't appear to have the hustle that De Niro's character does, but uh, you know, she, she's the the lead. She's the the singer. She's like the you know the front person to these bands, even these big bands. And it seems to just eat at De Niro that no matter how good he can be on the sax, or even as the band leader, doesn't matter really what she, what she says goes because mm-hmm. she's the true talent. And so it's, I don't know. I don't feel like often, I mean, I guess you see it a lot of times in like, you know, documentaries about bands or something like almost sure. famous. There's that very funny Jason Lee scene where it's like, you know, he's the out of focus guy. Right. And he's the lead. Um, I, I like seeing like, usually when we get into these movies about like, especially the, the arts in any way, it's like, you know, if you're, if you're artistic, then you're on like equal footing. Right. But in this, it's like, Not here. no, you can be, you can be the best sax player but you'll never be as good as her because people like there's an emotional response when she's on right. stage singing. But he could, be a, he could be a better sax player than she is a singer, but right. it's not going to matter because people yeah. are going to be tied to her just automatically, uh, which I think is true. I mean, it's a, you know, I mean, you, you see it in the film. Like, I mean, yeah. that was my response. And when she's singing, I'm like, folks, I don't give a shit what he's doing. Right. And so like, I didn't sympathize with the man, but I sort of understood, understood his plight in that way. The problem would is, like any decent human being, especially one who can't in the opening sequence on VJ day came and pay for his hotel room or like, right. you know, his, his meal, you would think even have like a modest mouse success where he's doing supposedly what he loves, then he could be happy, but nope. he's, it's not, <laughs> he doesn't, he, he's a fame whore. It's not like, mm-hmm. I mean, you and I, not to out anyone, but as people who enjoy listening to podcasts and, talking to each other about movies and actually making a podcast, putting something out there in the world. You know, I both have run into people that what they're talking about, or even the idea of making a podcast <laughs> is not what they're really passionate about. And to me, it's, it's mind boggling. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know names. who you're talking about. Hmm? I nope. will not throw out names because I'm not cruel like you, but to me, it's mind boggling to spend your time like that. And so it's like a guy who is that close to this this music world that he spent so much time trying to better himself can derive no pleasure from it right 
like I said, no sympathy, but I think it's kind of interesting. I think it's an int- he's more interesting than just being a total jackass and that there is something tragic about him in that way. Yeah, I mean, and this also is like, and this was around before this terminology existed, but like there's a whole terminology in abusive relationships called the cycle of violence. And this actually is it to a T where he will like kind of smother her with gifts when he does something wrong. And then there's like a little honeymoon period. And then they car, he starts kind of sniping at her and then gets abusive all over again. I mean, this is a man who essentially threatened suicide to get her to marry him. Like he laid down behind the taxi cab and was like, hit the gas because life isn't worth living anymore. So like, I also bring my own baggage to this and mm. knowing that stuff where I was just kind of like, so I, I recognize it immediately, maybe before other viewers would. Like, within the first 15 minutes of this movie, I was like, oh, fuck this guy. So I immediately have this negative reaction to De Niro's character. So it was very hard for me to engage with this relationship on any real level, because I just want her to get away from him as soon as possible. But I think the difference between this and, like, you know, the, the classic musicals that they're, you know, trying to ape or, you know, glorify in some way is that they're also condemning some of the relationships that the people have derived pleasure from on what they've seen on the silver screen, That's as true. far as those, those grand broad moments where it's like, you know, I guess for plot reasons, you have to, your meet cute is extremely overbearing. Cause we got, fuck, we got to get these people together fast. Cause we, mm-hmm. we got to get people in and out the door. So you cross lines that would never be acceptable in real life. Right. But in a weird messed up way in Scorsese being a, a, a child of a film, you know, that does, unfortunately shape people you know I, I don't think that seeing a movie makes someone go out and shoot up a place but i do think that when it comes to social norms that we've talked about mm-hmm. movies you know we do take our cues from them and sometimes in very toxic ways yeah absolutely i mean one thing i find interesting about this like this is you know in many ways it's probably between this and the king of comedy as like seen as like his bombs right Although I feel like King of Comedy has gotten a kind of reappraisal and it's like the misunderstood genius. I think it was also far more critically, uh, it was a critic's hit, yeah. even though financially it was a disaster. Whereas, Whereas this one was yeah, and this, more out and out mixed. I, I was surprised at the, the fact that like this wasn't, I mean, it did not do well, but it kind of basically broke even. Uh, like I think it, it cost $14 million to make and it brought in like 15 or $16 Look, million. There's just something so. about guys who you know want to be directors they just like are obsessed with doing their version of a musical, like, or they'll put a musical sequence in one of their films. Yep. And I, I, I don't know how Stop far it. away we have to get, but you know, Chazelle has, I guess, reset the clock where it's like, Jesus, dude, you were like, you were young enough to where it's like, there were no, there are no musicals that you saw in theaters. That right. were like this, this was a standard. Like when there was one, it was like, Oh, they're doing a musical again. Like, I don't know about you, but for me, it was like, like Moulin Rouge was like, oh, that's a thing. Like, oh, it felt we can like, do oh, that gonna, still? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're going to do that again. Um, and I think that, you know, my taste, I would be fine with that. Like <laughs> once every 10 years. You're right. That sounds about right for Mike. <laughs> I'm good. Once a decade. I mean, this this movie did definitely have a lasting impact on Scorsese, though. Like a, according to all, you know, all the reports, like this sent him spiraling into like a pretty huge depression and like kickstarted his cocaine use pretty heavily. He was already using pretty heavily during this movie, which I guess well, is Well, during filming of The Last Waltz too, which we don't want to encourage yes. that rampant drug yes. use. And I guess like one of one of the reasons according to him that this movie ended up so poorly is like he had no control over the set because he was 
using constantly and there's a whole bunch of imp- improv- improvisation going on that he never okayed and then he was just left with all this shitty material that he it's just had to work out this would be improv like i actually because i i read I, that I, and then watched the movie and i was like where okay I don't even... so yeah, you had the same thing i read yeah. that and then i'm watching it i'm like well that's kind of weird uh because the uh you know the sort of rat-a-tat nature of the meet cute with manelli and de niro feels like you would have to have that. Like, it feels just, very I mean, just, planned, planned badly, but it feels very planned. <laughs> hey, hey, I enjoyed all of it. I, I thought it was, I thought this movie was great. I'm like, do I give this five stars on Letterboxd oh, or Jesus, four and a half? Like... <laughs> Look, okay, you program a musical. I greatly enjoy it. I feel this like, is what do you not want? how I expected this to go. <laughs> I thought this would be flipped. Like, I was like, oh, De Niro and Minnelli? This is going to be great. Uh, And then I didn't like it very much. But I do find it interesting that we're pairing this with Raging Bull. And actually, the only reason the studio, like, recouped its money is I guess there was some agreement where they shared the profits between this movie and Rocky. uh, And they assumed Rocky would flop and this movie would make a bunch of money. And it just ended up being the opposite. So the studio was totally okay. They're like, oh, well, we made our money back. It's totally fine. We made more money than we thought. So I think Raging Bull shared a producer uh, on the Rocky series yeah. and he would not go forward with one of the Rocky sequels unless they like foot the bell for raging bull. So it's this weird incestuous relationship yeah. we have here. Uh, but yeah, I'm glad that we, at least on this episode, we have one genuine classic and then we'll see what that boxing oh, movie Jesus has to offer. Like, unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. I, I also look back and like, other than the kind of abusive nature of the movie, I'm struggling to, tie myself to any like memorable moments in this movie and maybe just because the length is just so long that i like kind of lose track of really what happened especially because these characters don't really change much i feel like it's a movie that either succeeds or fails based on pure power of personality like you got liza and you got de niro so you got something to kind of hang your hat on but in terms of the story of it it does just feel like a kind of weird satire of the Hollywood musical without, at least for me, without a lot of substance. Hmm. Well, I mean, uh, to me, a musical, the substance has got to be the songs, right? Like, I don't know. And if, so did you, if you like the songs, I feel like there's like two good songs and the rest just kind of fade. Like they're not bad. They're not actively bad, but like, I don't remember them. I remember the happy endings and New York, New York. And that's, Pretty much it. Well, uh, sent you out happy. You, know, you like the ending? I mean, the ending's it, good. I was if the if the movie did not end the way it did, I probably would have out and out hated this movie. Um, but the fact that they didn't pull punches at the end of the movie, I really appreciate it, and I appreciate that it wasn't it wasn't a hard no. You know, she did have to think about it. She was tempted. I just wish the movie had done more work to show us why on God's green earth she would ever be tempted to be with this man for more than two minutes at a time. Hmm. You're asking me to answer that? Or? Yeah, yeah. Tell me what is alluring about Robert De Niro in this role. Other than uh, <sighs> skill with the saxophone, I guess? He really knows how to vibrate those reeds? I, I don't know. That's... <laughs> wow, we're getting kind of dirty there. <laughs> I was just teeing it up for you. <laughs> just... <laughs> I don't know if I want to try to top that. Because I'm like, yeah, that sounds, that sounds good. Um, you know, I, I like the... I don't know if it was totally purposeful, especially when you're getting into like the improv nature of this film, but Liza Minnelli seems to, I guess, and with her abilities, why wouldn't you have total confidence that things will work out as they should, which unfortunately kind of leads 
to like allowing this abusive relationship to go on so much so that De Niro's character is the one that throws in the towel. When the kid arrives, he's like, uh-huh. Nope, I'm out. What a piece of uh, shit. God. And, I forgot about well, that. That like, you know, not only does he mistreat her during her pregnancy, but once the kid shows up, they're like, shouldn't have named him without me. I'm out of here. <laughs> well, you say that Dave, but I'm just thinking like, you know, this is, this is best. Let's have a clean break right here. Well, yeah, I think he would make a terrible father, but, <laughs> um, I, I think that, uh, you know, I like her character and that she, she's going to allow things to happen. And so can I see how that opposites attract style thing works where it's like, okay, a guy who's like clearly so nervous, uh, or, you know, totally not lacking in hustle, but maybe lacking in confidence in his abilities that they can speak for themselves. I right. can, can I see that person being attracted to someone with that sort of level of intensity when mm. she she does not have it, sure, I, I could see that. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily going to uh, <laughs> be a relationship that's going to end up well, and certainly does not. But in other films, you know, we sort of play off like, oh, look how cute it is that they're so different, mm. um, and it's still going to work because it's a movie. I like that this one's like, no, it <laughs> it, it doesn't never work. really works. It does uh, have a good message going. Yeah. Is that they both are you know relatively talented uh, in their fields and the music. That's it. But they're horrible, you know, they're horrible together and it makes everyone uncomfortable, including my co-host Dave. Yes, very he uncomfortable. Saved his time with it. Me, I was right. I was like, you know what? I'm going to watch this again. I'm going to watch it with a commentary track. I'm glad I own this rate box. Would $8 you, well spent. You know, this is a little inside baseball, but I have been accused by your wife of ruining her life yes. <laughs> by making her watch these movies. Uh, so I just want you, did you watch this with your wife? Oh hell no! I would like you to. Musical? I would no. like you to watch it with her and see what she has to say about this relationship. I mean, she might pull out the iPad three minutes in, but mm. <laughs> um, yeah. Going back, I, I don't think I've taken the tour of uh, Scorsese's work with her. I do know on one of our early dates, uh, we did watch Taxi Driver together. And oh, how I don't romantic! Know, I don't know <laughs> why. I'm you know probably it was as simple as hey, I just bought this on Blu-ray. It's a nice edition. Well, check it yeah. out. <laughs> You want to check it out? Uh, yeah. Um, but she probably would have liked, I'm guessing, uh, Alice doesn't live here anymore. Mm-hmm. Would not have cared that much for Mean Streets. And uh, Goodfellas, the one comment she gave was, it's too long and they're all going to kill each other anyway. So why does it have to be so long? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's, it's a valid point. All right. Um, so we are going to take a break from this because I don't want to talk about this movie anymore. I want to go it's on. It's great. I want to go it's on. It's worth I like. $8. So we'll take a break. Uh, hear from Stephanie Crawford of the Screencast, our resident uh, early Scorsese expert. And then we'll come back and talk about Raging Bull. Well, yeah, Raging Bull, there. It's a masterpiece. Well, that's what it is. It's based on a real person, and it is about this uh, very primal, violent uh, sport. But again, it's about um, a man who has a raging bull inside him, really. Uh, It's hard for me to talk about Raging Bull. It's one of my favorites. I love revisiting it. I think it's one I revisit about every two years. And almost feels like it's the first time I'm seeing it. Maybe he was channeling kind of a Shakespearean feeling when he was making this. Like like you're saying, he had the failure. So it was almost like a mission for him. Um, so you have the black and white, which is a departure. And it's really beautiful. And then you have this collaborator uh, who's become famous now in De Niro. And... He lets himself 
completely transform himself. So it's a wonderful film. It's dramatic. It's emotional. It's fun, but it's also completely devastating. It's wonderful, but it's it's also it's brave. Like you're like, all right, I'm gonna make my comeback with a black and white boxing movie. <laughs> of course, where I make my star uh, have a deformed. Pl- prosthetics towards the end and gain a bunch of weight yeah i think the thing that um when i when i watch it now the thing i keep thinking is this is i mean scorsese's late career is great and we'll go into that next month but this is something i miss uh that we don't really get anymore from scorsese is him casting these basically unknown actors in huge roles yeah absolutely and they're both wonderful and very yeah. natural. Uh, and that's pro- that was probably a very intimidating project to come on to, oh, especially God, that imagine. early in your career. So no kidding. Just masterful act, directing, acting, editing. Just that's a classic. For this one. All right, everyone, welcome back. So now we're back to talk about an actual good Martin Scorsese movie in the classic (laughs) Raging Bull. Uh, So, Mike, how does this compare to your love, your newfound love of the musical with New York, New York? How did this work as a double feature for you? I think I should turn the tables right back around on you because here we go. Uh, Here's a classic in your your words. I don't think anyone else has ever said this about Raging Bull. never. No. Um, Where... De Niro plays a guy who's very skilled in one thing. Uh, also a piece of his, shit. <laughs> his partners uh, could be brother or, in this case, two wives that we see. Mm-hmm. One of them 15 or 14. Yeah. 14, 15. Yeah. Either way, not good. Not no good. Either. No. Um, 15 doesn't help. That's <laughs> treats everyone horribly. Never changes. This works for you. The one that's got Liza Minnelli, uh, you know, not singing out her ass. But even if she was, I'm sure it would be great. <laughs> this one works. I, you know, tell me why. Why, why does that this is, one work in New York, New York? Does you not? know, that's something that I was thinking about watching this again. Because uh, this is, I think, the third or fourth time I've watched it. Um, and I don't know. I don't know that I have a good answer for you. Because you're right. He is kind of a piece of shit from the beginning. Um, and I think, hmm, I think some of it is because there's a certain archetype of the kind of brutish athlete who's not good at anything else um that in some ways we kind of accept this kind of behavior whereas uh someone like his character in new york new york is also talented at one thing but kind of talks a mile a minute and seems very sharp so maybe we expect more of him um so i don't know i think you're right that it is weirdly a similar character but i think the movie is shot much better i think this was chosen as the best edited film of all time um the that can't be right yep who edited this uh, some uh some woman <laughs> oh god well, would be, you know need to fire her Jeez. but i also like that every single one of the fights is shot very differently it's something actually that uh when creed came out uh that that movie got a lot of credit for and i think this kind of does the same thing it's a you know there's a lot of long takes here or at least disguised uh long takes i think surprisingly the boxing scenes work pretty well i think a lot of times in these older films uh you can kind of tell you can kind of see the the strings here uh but i and there's also a scene late in the movie 
where it's almost this kind of nightmare perspective where it loses all sense of reality, which I think really works for the character and where he is at this point in his life. And I think all the performances are pretty fantastic, especially given that Joe Pesci and Kathy Moriarty were basically complete unknowns. I think Joe Pesci had been in like one or two small roles before, but, you know, was like they found him like working in some like small theater group. Uh, Kathy Moriarty, I don't think had done anything before and they were like nominated for a bunch of awards. And it's something that Scorsese interestingly, I think has gone away from later in his career. Early in his career, there's a lot of like, I'm going to discover this new talent and kind of put them on screen for the first time and get something amazing out of them. And then later in his career, it's like, well, I'm going to work with De Niro again. I'm going to work with Leonardo DiCaprio. These like established stars. So it's interesting how that has changed over the course of his career. And I think some of that is just that he was a young filmmaker. And like, he also thought this was the last movie he was going to make. Like after the failure of, uh, of New York, New York, he thought like, okay, this is my swan song. A travesty. I'm going to make something truly great. And this is why I guess like he had all the rights to this movie for years and years and years. Like he fought for this uh, so he could produce it the way he wanted and, you know, put out the the exact way he wanted because he was sure, okay, this is it. I'm going to make one great movie and then I'm done. Uh, Not knowing that this movie would be so respected, I think, and kind of propel his career forward it routinely uh i think sits in like the top five like all-time films Uh, i remember doing an episode on uh the true bromance film podcast where i just casually mentioned that this is considered the greatest film of the 80s and you would have thought (laughs) i said (laughs) you shit on the microphone like it is (laughs) (laughs) you would have thought that i said you know Road Trip is the greatest film of the 2000s or something like just ridiculous. also true, Mike. Also true. <laughs> well, maybe on True Bromance, maybe that's the case. Yep. Uh, I believe you have selected um, one of the hosts of that show to be your second expert on Scorsese. Yeah, for the later stuff, the, the easier stuff to talk about. I think we. Well, he clearly in. had complete lack of respect for Raging Bull. <laughs> that is so ridiculous. I don't, you know, it's interesting. It's one of the things that came up as I was watching this because this is uh, the first time I watched it. You know, we've talked on this show before about how sometimes the people you choose to watch a movie with can adversely affect your enjoyment. I saw of it. you tweet that out, and I, you know, I, of course I checked myself. You know, I put the gun back in the holster where I was like, I completely disagree with this thought because I, I was actually trying to think myself when. Have I ever been affected by Hoover I was with when it came to movies? Because to me, it's just me and the it film, and you're just you're just along for the ride with me. That's fine. I don't I don't really care. So let's let's hear this. Let's hear your initial response, and you know, go ahead and blame whoever the other person was. <laughs> so I guess this anonymous other person, this anonymous ex of mine uh, who is watching oh, it with. And okay, I, and, and I think I'm. I'm very aware of people's body language as they watch movies. It actually is very distracting to me, unless I'm in a okay. theater. If I'm in a theater. Everything is dark. Like, I just see the screen. Dave, I don't know. Let's get dark here for a moment. Okay. That's the time you need to be aware of other people's body language. It's unfortunately, true. now. And that's yes. where I'm hyper aware of when people are walking in, what they're wearing. Yeah. Have I seen them before? So, yeah, just, you know, just keep your Fair enough. Keep, keep there, your guard up. Dave. That's, yeah. <laughs> act like you're at home. Just be ultra yeah. aware. Um, so, like, I'm very aware of the body language of, you know, my ex when she was very uncomfortable watching this movie. And I think because, you know, uh, he's a piece of shit and he abuses women and that's, you know, probably something hard to take, especially if you're a woman watching this movie. I think there's a certain separation for me as I watch this because I've never been in that position. But like her arms were crossed during the whole movie and she was kind of rolling her eyes at everything De Niro said and every interaction like just was over it for the entire movie. And I watched it. I still liked it. 
but maybe not as much as I do now. Like I watched it by myself this time and I was like, I mean, this might be the best movie of the 1980s. This might be in my top five or top 10 of all time. I think it's perfectly directed. I think it's perfectly acted. I like the fact that there's a whole sequence, of course, that has become very famous. The kind of like, did you fuck my wife sequence in this movie? Well, go ahead and kill everybody. You're a tough guy. Go kill people. Kill Vicky. Kill Salvi. Kill Tommy Como. Kill me while you're out. What do I care? You're killing yourself the way you eat. You're a fat fuck. Look at you. What do you mean, I don't understand. What do you mean kill you? Me. Kill me. Start here. Kill me first. Do me a fucking favor. Because you're driving me crazy. You're a killer. You're a big shot. Just kill. You're a killer. Excuse me. What do you mean by you, though? So? What does that mean? Don't yeah, mean nothing. Even, even you don't even know what you meant by you. Don't mean nothing. Joey, that meant something. You mentioned Tommy. You mentioned Salvi. You mentioned you. You included you with them. You could have said anybody, but you said you and them. You really let this girl ruin your life. Look at you. She really did some job on you. You know how fucking nuts you are? Look what she did to you. You fucked my wife. What? You fucked my wife. How could you ask me a question? How could you ask me? I'm your brother. You ask me that? Where do you get your balls big enough to ask me that? Which continues out of that room, and then he goes and attacks his wife about it. And I like the fact that at no point... Does she simply deny it? Like, she's so over it in that moment that she sarcastically says, like, yeah, I fucked everybody. What are you going to do about it? And I like that moment from her a lot. It would be very easy well, to have her. Well, it's what he wants to hear. Yep. He's a guy that, you know, he can only breathe if he's in the middle of some sort of antagonistic relationship with someone else. So if he's surrounded by people that love him, that's not going to work. Not for very long. So, I mean, yeah. even... I guess the best thing you can say about the guy... Actually, no. He, like... Uh, unlike in Taxi Driver, you know, when his TV in that film, the TV's working perfectly fine, and he still eventually he tilts it, it over. over. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But in here, this one, uh, he's got, you know, I guess a brand new television of his uh, boxing winnings, and uh, it's not working. He doesn't pick it up and throw it against the room like that. Would be uncomfortable but reasonable to me. Right. We've all had problems with stupid fucking thing doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Get it? But no, for him, it's got to be an actual you know human being that he's. And you see it in the ring too. Um, you know, this time I think I I was a little bit more hung up on the boxing sequences mm. uh, because I, I'm not a, like a, a boxing fan really. Uh, I don't know if I've ever just watched ten rounds of boxing. Like highlights know, someone, are good enough. Yeah. Uh, So I'm not coming at it from this. Like it's gotta be the extremely realistic, but I think watching it now is the closest I've come to having some of the complaints that we've seen as we previously referenced the great Twitter war uh, over Scorsese in 2019 uh, where it's like, Oh, he's just interested in violence because clearly you get in the boxing ring and it's a little hypocritical to say that because boxing is a violent sport, Mm -hmm. violent act. These two people have agreed to do this thing. Um, I mean, it's it does not in any way, shape, or form have any interest in the nuance or the no. fighting styles. No. And so it is just you are coming into when someone's getting hit repeatedly. You know, mm-hmm. it's either Jake hitting someone or being hit. Mm-hmm. And probably the, the biggest difference between this and other, I guess, sports films um, is that we have a character who enjoys it. He enjoys being beaten up. He enjoys he that, that his brother to do it contact. over the breakfast table. Which like, apparently was real. Those were yeah. apparently real punches they were throwing, which is well, funny. I, mean, I think this is, I think, De Niro coming out as this, you know, this is his acting style. It's like he's just going to go full bore for it. Like there's And see, you didn't like him playing that 
role in New York, New York. But how close would that be to putting up with a guy like that? Where it's like, all right, you are just, you're a bit much. Here's the difference for me is I think that is the point of Raging Bull. He is not someone you're supposed to like. Whereas in New York, New York, because it's a musical, because it's this grand romance, supposedly, I think you're supposed to have some sort of pull towards him. But that's why I loved it. Yeah. Uh, There you go. Let's. Let's reclaim the musical as being a genre about nihilism. Yes. (laughs) Because I think the characters you're supposed to care about in this movie, I don't think it's Jake. I think it's Vicky. I think it's Joey. I think it's all these people who are surrounded by him. I mean, that's why that's why the movie. I mean, this is a bit of a pun, but really does not pull any punches. I mean, he decks his wife. He decks his wife. There's no like you Blue expect that as well. As I was watching this movie, I was like, oh, he's going to slap her and that'll be terrible. But like he punches her like he was in the ring with her. So there's no room for pity for this man after that moment. You're done. You know, it's funny. You really have pegged me as like, I guess, the, a true nihilist was, a, you know, a ferret that I can throw in like a tub or something at a, a guy who just <laughs> you know, just wants to enjoy his choice. But OK. <laughs> What other like famous nihilist do you know in film? That's uh, that's got to be the one that comes to mind. So, um, I, I had okay. It's it's funny. I, I like this movie, obviously, and I've got experience with it. Where it was well, you're not an animal. Of course, you like this movie. It's a good movie. Like come on. it would be okay though, honestly. And you know, when we get to the, I don't know if you're going to continue doing your your nonsense where you do like your favorite best masterpiece. Because yep, it's happening. <laughs> Even with the split, where we're gonna do like yeah, know, and then at ten- the end, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna make you choose oh, between your two. So. Oh Jesus! Oh my goodness! <laughs> I'm actually gonna make it more complex. Oh, that <laughs> no. is terrible. You were you were you complain about New York, New York being so long? Jesus Christ! Like cut this number. Uh, but so slight spoiler: if if when we get to this multiple times, I guess <laughs> Raging Bull would be the one like when we talked about Verhoeven movies, where I'm like, look. There could be some of this stuff that I like, but it's just a bit much. So oh, yeah. if I was going to present this in front of someone, this may turn them off entirely to Scorsese. If you yeah. said, hey, start with Raging Bull. You could even say that about Taxi Driver, but I think even more so with this one. because I think Taxi, Taxi Driver, Driver is way more approachable. I mean, I think, okay. I mean, in this, like you mentioned the kind of violence, especially near the end with like the blood on the ropes and spraying blood into the crowd. And it's interesting. That's Scorsese's big thing. That's what got him into it. Well, yeah, because he actually, like, he's kind of anti-sports, I guess. Like, his quote is well, like... Well, that's not a shocker. Yeah. I mean, he's just kind of like, anything with a ball, not into it. I'm not not a fan. Uh, this way, he had to be convinced to do this movie by De Niro, because he was like, boxing? I don't know anything about boxing. And he went to a boxing match, and this is what he actually saw. And this is the thing that the critics kind of got all over him for. It was like, this is, like, needlessly violent, and this is really hard to watch. And for him, I think that was kind of the point. Is it supposed to be difficult to watch? So yeah, this is not this is not the introduction that you want to give somebody. Like this right. is a lot because not only is there there are not a lot of likable characters in this movie, but it's also like everyone is just everyone in this movie is continually punished. There's no happy endings for anyone in this movie. I think that's why I didn't share your sympathy for uh, Joe Pesci as the brother or uh, Kathy Moriarty as Vicky, the wife, because you know you you seem to have that same reaction. In New York, New York. I didn't. Uh, where I can sort of justify the reasonings for these two people being together. And it's that, you know, at least they share a passion for the same thing. You know, Joey supports his brother and his sort of boxing endeavors and seems to be the thinker as far as, the you know, the, the guy behind the guy. Uh, but I wouldn't say if his brother wasn't naturally gifted at this, I, I don't get a read that Joey is just going to be in the boxing realm. And certainly Vicky 
you know, doesn't really give a shit about it. Uh, seems like she is the person just seeing it as a violent act, appalled, you know, ringside when he allows himself to get like sort of beaten up. Um, so I had a bigger issue with this film as far as the support structure where I'm like, you know what? You, you signed up to live with an animal. Like he calls himself an animal in a very famous scene, but he is just sort of, you know, roaming instincts, like, you know, looking to dominate. He is the dog that you walk in and he tries to hump you, except it's far less loving. Yes, <laughs> far less. Yeah. But I think uh, to me, it makes more sense that these people stick around because of fear. Like, how do you leave someone like that safely? Uh, All I'm hearing is that you don't like Liza Minnelli being a successful woman in a position of power. Jesus and Christ. You like you like <laughs> Kathy Moriarty living in fear uh, as she can't even go into the bathroom to Look, like, you know, I'm not going to respond to that because that's nonsense. But what I will say is <laughs> they heard I, you like watching this movie. I'm so shocked that like Kathy Moriarty, of course, had like a long career, but like delved more into comedy. Um so, but like watching this, like I'm so surprised that she didn't have this just phenomenal dramatic career because I think she's really great here. Um, and it makes me wonder, like, you know, how much of that was, you know, Scorsese because she was very new, very fresh, like had basically no experience. What they knew about her is what she looked like, and she looked a lot like Vicky Lamotta did in real life. So that was one of the big reasons they cast her. But I think she's great here. Like, it's just a how raw performance. How old was she when this? Uh, when, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a good question. Let's see. She well, only only bring it up because I'm just looking at her credits. And seventeen. So seventeen. Well, she did Neighbors in the same well, a year later, and then there's a six year gap, which is strange in the eighties. Mm. So that is very strange. Um, I'm 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 glad you liked her. I mean, she's got a great voice, and yep. she at least comes across as. Oh, more... I have I have the reasoning to why she took that break. So it says not too long after her second film, the party received Neighbors. The actress was in a near-fatal automobile accident, which resulted oh. in a serious back injury. So, Oh, well. So I'll damn, take but... back anything bad I said about her, because now I feel bad. <laughs> I um, I, I kept thinking, I, you know, the bit of trivia I read was that uh, Jodie Foster and another, like, you know, I, I immediately felt like the FBI was going to come kicking down my door, because... <laughs> Uh, apparently her mother, like, cause she was what 15, I guess when this was going to film. So she's actually like age appropriate to what the character like should be, mm-hmm. uh, was very interested in this role. But Scorsese was like, mm, I don't think that <laughs> you're going to play the sex idea. spot. Um, her mother, I think, uh, like basically had her take a sexy photo shoot. So I'm reading this bit of trivia. Oof. And I scroll down Uh-oh. and then I see this and I'm like, holy shit. I like, didn't want to see these pictures. And I'm thinking like, you know, thankfully they're not, you know, she's nude, but you can't see anything. It's like it would be a magazine cover, like sort of over the shoulder sort of thing where you just realize she is naked, but you're not seeing. Thankfully, because I'm thinking you can't put this shit on the Internet. This is illegal. Yeah. Here. I still felt terrible about it. But then I'm, right. you know, as I'm feeling terrible at this approved photo shoot to get a job in a film. I then have to put myself back. I'm like, oh, so the guy I'm going to follow for two and a half hours, he was all down for it. Oh, you got a 15-year-old? Introduce me. I'm. <laughs> You're horrible, Dave. It's You're so, horrible. It's such a weird, it's such a weird sequence because there's, I mean, I think that is, I mean, pretty much every moment in this movie, you're like, okay, this guy's a piece of shit. But just the fact that that's never discussed, like, just like the fact that she's that young, just like, she's pretty. Let's do this. It's like what and the film doesn't take a lot of time to show you kind of how awful that is 
because they know they're going to show you how awful he is in so many other ways moving forward in the movie. Like, it's just every single moment. But one thing I wanted to bring up is, like, uh, maybe, is this the first uh, movie with Scorsese that Frank Vincent is in? Because uh, he makes a career, I think, out of getting the shit kicked out of him by Joe Pesci, uh, which must be... But we'll get his revenge in Casino. Yeah, in that's a pretty true. horrific sequence. Yes, so. yes, that's absolutely true. And I liked, I mean, I think... I think Frank Vincent essentially plays very similar characters in every movie, but he's very good at it. Like he's, you know, he's yeah, very great, convincing. Great voice, great face for yeah. the, the roles he's cast in. Good eyebrows, uh, and he plays, you know, <laughs> he plays not legitimately dumb, but a guy who's trying to play dumb. He has a great, I'm playing dumb face, but I'm not convincing about like, it. I didn't do it. Yeah. It's very, it's very difficult to master. That's one thing I've always liked about it, but I, it's not that I'm like <laughs> remembering him, his name. I, I'm not going to play that card. But I'm like, oh, yeah, I like that guy's face. I like that. Like, yeah. Yes. We'll see it again in Goodfellas and Casino. Casino. And we have that to look forward to, those horrific acts of violence from Yay. this poor guy, this character <laughs> actor. Good. So is there, a, is there a performance in this movie that stands out to you? Is this like an all De Niro show or are you a fan of Joe Pesci here? Like what? Because I was, I was kind of wowed by Joe Pesci's performance. Like I think De Niro, <laughs> it's one of those things it's, it becomes easy to discount because De Niro, especially in this period of his career, is kind of great every time out um but for me pesci stands out here maybe because this is one of his first roles uh and he holds the screen so well with de niro who already at this point is pretty accomplished no it's just a just a bobby de niro joint for me and um and he's great i mean there's no rightfully so yeah uh but it's you know, I was talking about this one with a buddy, like I was saying, he came in, I think when I was watching Mean Streets and we we're getting ready to go to uh, the movies and I was like, yeah, I'm doing this stupid thing for Dave's stupid show and, you know, I got to watch all these Scorsese movies. Oh, or gonna baby. Be, it's going to be horrible. I got to watch this thing called New York, New York, and it's apparently a long musical. It's going to be terrible. And then, you know, I, uh, you know, it's a new love of mine. Um, Who knew? You're welcome, we, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, we were talking like I was like, I got Taxi Driver coming up and Raging Bull. And both of us, when it got to Raging Bull, he's like, you know, I respect the hell out of that movie. It's great. I recognize it's great. I just don't ever feel the need to really watch it again. And that's and that's you know, a that's, totally valid take yeah. on this movie. It's it's a hard watch for sure. Yeah, because it's a it's a man, you know, just terrorizing people trying to help them out some you know you, you brought up frank vincent you so you have the criminal element that's like trying to like get their cut mm-hmm. and so in some ways you respect him because he's defiant of them but then it's like oh he's not like a good just man he's just like an egomaniac mm-hmm. and he likes to make his life painful and thus anyone that's embroiled in his life it's going to be equally and perhaps more so painful for them it's a hard sit um i think this is totally like i understand why de niro like I can't remember which film he was shooting. Maybe it was New York, New York, where he had like Raging Bull. Like he had the you know the book that yeah. this is based on by Lamada on the set. I could totally see an actor wanting to do this, and I could oh, yeah. totally see a director wanting to do this. Since uh, Scorsese that, didn't, he was like, "Nah, mm, no, thank you." Well, he was you know obsessed <laughs> with this Jesus guy, which you know what did he ever do? Never Who changes knows? throughout his entire career. Uh, Continued obsession. Yeah, the, this to me is just like I just think Robert De Niro, uh, you know, even when he's got and he's bulked up in like <laughs> the worst ways possible. Like, was he? Well, not the worst ways as far as getting there, because I read. What, yeah, he, he took a, he took an eating he, tour he, of Italy and France, and and what I love is that Scorsese paid everybody during this <laughs> during this period of time. He paid the entire crew for their time, but he gained like sixty pounds. Uh, so when I first watched this, I was like, oh, it must be like a fat suit or something. Like, nope. 
that's real weight. <laughs> I mean, not to dismiss what Scorsese did here, but as a movie fan and probably as like an executive at a studio, I think this is one time where we see eye to eye with like the, you know, the, <laughs> the guys counting the pennies and then me consuming it. Uh, Robert Zemeckis, Castaway, when Tom <laughs> Hanks is losing all that weight, he goes off and shoots uh, What Lies Beneath with the same crew. Yeah. So he keeps them, keeps them busy. Pay, but then I get an extra movie out of it. And it's yeah. like an ode to Hitchcock. So I loved it. So Scorsese, yeah. you know, better than John Ford. Not as good as Robert Zemeckis. <laughs> good for the crew, though. Get paid to do nothing. Like that That sounds. Yeah, much better be the crew just to go on vacation or, or you know, come back. De Niro's fat and happy. Yes, absolutely. And I also like I read that like the the original script, uh, which I think was Paul Schrader, uh, who also wrote Taxi Driver, um, is very different uh, than what eventually is on screen. Originally, there was a whole bunch of these flashbacks throughout the movie or I guess flash forwards throughout the movie where you have him as this like nightclub owner. Uh, But instead, they chose to kind of like bookend the movie with this, which I think is a much better choice Um, because I think, you know, it's. Those scenes are good, but not as interesting to me as Jake LaMotta in his in his prime. Like the you know, you have to see the complete fall from grace, but I don't need six or seven scenes spliced throughout the movie to do that. Like I think it accomplishes everything it needs to do with that beginning and that ending. Just more jarring that way. Yeah. You, know, you, you open and then you, you go back and then you almost forget. That's like, oh, we're gonna get to him when his his face is all destroyed and it's got a huge, you know, gut. Um, yeah, I, I I would not have liked that. I <laughs> the one bit of trivia I read with Paul Schrader uh, going back to a previous episode with Taxi Driver was that he went up to Albert Brooks and thanked him for his performance. And Brooks was like, really? You got same as Raging Bull. You got De Niro like giving an all time performance here. Like I'm just kind of playing like a nobody in this. And he's like, no, no, like your your part is like the one I could just never I can never get my head around this guy. So like, you know, what you brought is like it's not there on the page. And so Brooks was like, oh, cool. Thanks. And then it's like every walked away. It's like, wait a minute. So Schrader saying that the pimp and the taxi driver, he totally understood. <laughs> but, but the neurotic guy, like, yeah. Uh, I don't understand nice him. I don't know where he's coming from. Yeah. <laughs> Said something about Paul Schrader. I mean, one last thing before we close up here. One thing that I really like in choices that this movie made is you don't actually know if she ever cheated on him because she and Joe Pesci are like pretty familiar with one another. Like there's a bunch hey. of, there's a bunch of sequences. Victim blaming here? What no, no. Oh my goodness. But there are some, there's some sequences uh, that they have here with like the home video sequences, which I guess are based in reality. They actually saw Jake LaMotta's home videos and they, you know, use that as a, as kind of a standing and they're really friendly and they could just be like, no, this is my brother's wife. Really friendly with one another. Then he kisses they her on the lips and it's like, you don't know. You don't know. But I like, goodness. I like that they don't give you an answer. Cause that's not the point. The point is, even if that was happening, he doesn't have any proof of that. And he is way overreacting with, with what he does. But I like that you don't get a solid answer because no one gives him an answer. When he asks, he just like, he asks Pesci and Pesci's like, I'm not going to give you an answer. I'm not going to. I'm going to give you an answer. It didn't happen. <laughs> the guy's a complete monster and a maniac. All right, fair enough. And he's, you know, strangely, you know, turned on by the concept of being like one-upped, yeah. uh, either in the ring or out of it by his tiny brother. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I, I don't know. You, you take off the tinfoil hat, my All man. Right. What, what are you doing here? Fair enough. All right, so we're going to wrap this up here. So our next episode. Uh, 
definitely a change in gears. Uh, we're going to look at the King of Comedy and After Hours. So now that we've you know gotten through, I guess, the two classics for you in New York, New York and Raging Bull, what are your expectations uh, for Scorsese moving forward in his career? Um, lighter on the surface surface level lighter but it's hard to get much heavier than raging bull i mean right but i've seen both of these and uh they're both uh both incredibly stressful movies even though they have a darkly comedic bent uh after hours far more screwball but i wouldn't say they're necessarily like just easy pleasant sets they're very tense so looking forward to stressful viewing yeah yeah i mean i I find it hard to like kind of put myself in the perspective. Like I was watching this in 1980. What would I expect? Uh, and it's certainly, you know, I guess spoiler alert, it would not be what we get from Scorsese. Like I think if he was a director starting out now and he made a movie like Raging Bull that was that highly thought of, you would kind of expect more of the same, something very dramatic uh, and something that would, you know, up- hopefully obtain a bunch of awards. Um, so it's interesting that he goes a totally different route. So I'm kind of looking forward to watching those and seeing how they compare after after a movie like Raging Bull. So. All right. Did you? Uh, well, no, I just expect you to totally defend uh, De Niro once again. And you're going to somehow shame, victim blame uh, Jerry Lewis in right. our next episode. Uh, get ready for that. All right. So um, that is it for this episode. Uh, if you would like to hear more from us, you should check us out on Twitter at DirectedByPod or donate to our Patreon at patreon.com slash a podcast directed by.